You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shaka Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks. Uh, welcome back to another amazing episode of The Retail Perch. I'm back here with my awesome co-host, Gary Hawkins. Gary, how was your visit to Mount Rushmore? I know that's the last place you've been to since we spoke so, last. So- so we were up in South Dakota visiting Mount Rushmore 10 days ago. Great time up there. Saw the Badlands, uh, Rushmore, a couple of the national parks there. And then this past weekend, Shaker, I, I didn't tell you yet, I had another first. I went rock climbing. Oh, my God. And have the scrapes and the uh, sore muscles to uh, prove it. So don't know if I'm going to do that again, but it was an experience. Well, I know the retail perch was climbing up the rankings. I just didn't realize Gary Hawkins was climbing as well. (laughs) (laughs) The the hard way. I got to do some climbing. I've been been doing my early morning walks. And for those of you who don't know, I have a new member of my family, Harry, who's been with us now for about three months. Uh, He's a year and a half old. And he's an Australian Labradoodle. And Gary knows that I've been working on my relationship with Harry (laughs) over the last three months. But happy to announce that he actually enjoys his morning walks and uh, playing out in the park with me nowadays, Gary. So we've come a long way. So well, it's, it's, it's a quality time you two have together every morning. I'm telling you, something about retail technology really jazzes up your life. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. We, we got two amazing guests, uh, Roger and Elise, and I'm going to leave it to them to introduce themselves because they do some really cool stuff. And this is probably... The first for us, Gary, actually talking to, you know, this type of technology that we've been introducing to retailers. Yeah, and I think uh, retailers, you know, brands, certainly any marketer is going to be really fascinated in today's discussion uh, because I, I don't think many have a view into the wealth of data that's out there and, and what's possible. And that's what's always excited me in talking to these guys. Yeah, well, you know, we've spoken to Roger, of course, before. I can't wait to hear your backgrounds, how you wound up doing what you're doing. So Roger, Elise, welcome to the Retail Perch and take it away, Roger. Thank you so much, uh, Shaker and Gary, for having us. We really appreciate it. Although I don't know, talking about data after rock climbing might not be as exciting as we think it is. (laughs) By uh, way of background, briefly, my background has been in product development, systems development, both on the B2B and B2C side. And in a past life, was very involved in commercial services around shopping centers, more specifically the REITs that own those shopping centers, providing technology solutions and stacks for those companies. And that's where I had the good fortune of running into and meeting Elise as we were trying to sell a solution to her previous employer, which I will leave to her to elaborate on, but ultimately started this journey with Refinition based on a failure from that exercise. So um, for those that are out there trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, A, I don't know, but B, keep at it. And you can probably find something fun like we found with Refinition, which uh, we found in a little over five years ago. Elise, you want to highlight a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to spend some quality time with you. I have repelled and I still have a few scars. So uh, believe me, they don't go away. (laughs) 
I, like Roger mentioned, am one of the co-founders of Refinition. We've been at this a little over five years. I had the esteemed privilege of meeting Roger in a former life. I spent most of my career at Condé Nast and uh, worked on a host of media brands there, charged with everything from productization to digital development and actually creating meaningful relationships for Fortune 100 and 500 brands to leverage in a contextual relevant environment with monetization opportunities to engage with Connie Nast media audiences and build those relationships. And I think what Roger kind of shared with me when we embarked on this journey was audience development and being able to own the relationship with those people directly is to me the most kind of important and quintessential element and foundation for any brand because it unlocks every avenue of opportunity for that brand to control their destiny. That's, uh, I'm still wrapping my head around what you said. That's, that's <laughs> hopefully, hopefully what we'll do is we'll unpack that for the audience. Yeah, there. There, there's a lot there. This podcast, yeah. right? So this is going to be fun. I know, I know, and I've seen a couple of demos, Roger, I think a couple of years ago that you guys shared of the Refinition platform, what it can do. And I was, we were blown away. I think it's, it's, it's exciting. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what, what is, what does Refinition do, right? And what's the basic motivation of I mean, what, what motivated you to actually found the company? Thank you for those kind words. Really, it came out of uh, the fact of we wanted to empower uh, brands and retailers to own their customer. Uh, we found a gap in the market that said, gosh, why do I, why am I forcing a brand and a retailer to go to Google and then go to Facebook and then go to name your next in line channel and build a relationship uh, with those folks or spend money on a relationship that you don't actually own. So really driving to build first party data. And it was focused around physical intent. Physical intent is a really strong indicator of an affinity for a brand or service. Pair that up with an online visit to a website, and we think that there's something very unique and magical about that. And we wanted to put the power in the hands of brands and retailers uh, in order to do that. And that was really the impetus of starting the company. Elise is an expert in this space, so tapping her as a co-founder just was a no-brainer and very lucky to have her. Elise, add any color that you want on that that I might have missed. You know, thank you. And he's way smarter. So I'm going to owe him a Venmo payment after this. Um, but I think having had the privilege of the world I started in, which was the kind of revolution and evolution of digital media, I got to start at the beginning when brands started kind of discovering the internet, or we'll call it the World Wide Web at that time. And I think it was very much a get me one of those mentality. Nobody really knew much about what they wanted, what they wanted it to do and what they were trying to accomplish. And so it was a lot of throwing everything out there, spending an exorbitant amount of money. There were no things such as return on investment, cost per acquisition. Am I talking to the right audience? It was none of that. And I think brands just spent because it was that I have to be there if everyone else is there. And you couldn't afford to not have that visibility. And I think over time, accountability came into the mix. And with that became uh, the evolution of the space of, okay, I can start 
identifying audiences based on certain behaviors. And what I think we all took for granted as people was that having the opportunity to go on these platforms, we all thought, including those of today, Facebook, Google, Safari, anything you go on, it's free. But I air quote that because nothing is free. And everything about you is being collected. And that is that evolution that took place. And what those platforms got very smart about was that by capturing the information while I thought it was for free was so that they could capitalize on me. Now, I'm sure most of us check our bank account, bank accounts regularly, and I haven't received a payment from Facebook or Google ever. They've asked me for money, Apple as well, but they've never given me anything. So I'm being sold as data to be leveraged for advertising for brands to purchase from them. What's disappointing about that is just because I once searched for blue shoes or how much snow tires cost, by the way, I live in Florida. So unless there's an apocalyptic event happening, I'm not buying them, but ads are being served to me, but I got bucketed and a brand is actually paying for that. And that's disappointing because that is, I am not someone who is going to make that purchase. I was just curious what they cost because I didn't believe Roger when he told me. They're really expensive, by the way. It's like a down payment on a house. But what's frustrating about that is, on top of the fact that a brand doesn't know who they're marketing to, they never have the opportunity to capitalize and build on that relationship. And they're only in one channel to be able to talk to that audience. And I want to be able to leverage that audience again and again and own the way I talk to them, when I talk to them, how I talk to them, and I want to know who they are. I want to know about them so I can market to them effectively because the way I talk to Roger isn't the way I talk to Shaker. The way I talk to Shaker isn't the way I'm going to talk to Gary. We all are on a mission of discovery and identification, and that's being lost for brands to own. And that's kind of at the impetus of what we believe in and that we believe a brand deserves the right to own. So, Elise, I think some of what you're speaking to comes back to this whole issue of, you know, first party data versus second party, third party, et cetera. If you would, you know, I'm sure a good number of people are familiar with those terms, what they mean, but others may not. Give us, one of you, please give us a quick definition of what we mean by first party data versus the others. Yeah. Roger, you want to explain? You want me to explain however you want to? Run with it and I'll add some color as we go down, as we start to talk about some of the fundamental shifts that are taking place in the industry today that are going to impact that. So first party data is my data. If I'm the owner of that data, it initiated, originated, and was owned by me. I own that relationship and I leverage it as I want. Second party, third party is literally kind of that chain of ownership that I go to another party to leverage their audience. Third party goes into, let's call it the DMPs of the world where you're leveraging a CRM like a live ramp or an Adobe or a Blue Kai, those audience manager environments where you go to them, you may bring some of your own data, ask them to put it into their, we'll call it mixer and spin it to kind of find unique matching, but you're leveraging outside data to start to enhance your own. Yeah. Okay, so for example, first party data would be I'm a retailer 
you know, any of my shoppers coming to my website or engaging with me through a mobile app or email, that's all first party data. I own it. I control it. That's right. But Roger, to what you were just, I think, mentioning or alluding to, a lot of changes going on around this whole space, you know, with cookies and so on and so forth. Some of this being driven by Apple, what they're doing and, and their focus on privacy. Uh, if you would speak to that. Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, so there is a fundamental shift that's going on right now and uh, labeled it, it's, you know, battle of the titans. So you've got Google taking a stand by deprecating the third party cookie. And what that's doing is causing mass confusion for retailers and the marketplace to be able to market and remarket to individuals that have shown some interest in their brands. What that's also doing is building a fiefdom or a walled garden for Google. And if uh, you're old like me, you'll remember AOL. And AOL used to be the walled garden before the internet was there. So we've seen this movie play out before. Facebook's taking the same path. Apple's taking the same path. Again, Apple with deprecating the IDFA, which is your identifier on your mobile device, is causing mass confusion. So what they've done is they've created additional hurdles for the retailer. So they don't have the ability to gain the first party data that they should have. And they're requiring those retailers to, in some cases, spend one, two, or three times as much money trying to identify the people that are actually going to their locations because you have to pay Google for an audience. So you have to pay Facebook for an audience. And again, insert your platform after that. So again, all of this is done under the premise of privacy. We have labeled it as a number of folks in the industry as privacy theater. Uh, we don't really believe it's around privacy. It's around owning the customer base and being able to monetize that. And again, that's one of our, our main missions at Refinition is to drive that and put that power back in the hands of the retailer, independent of what's going on with those big entities. Right. And to Roger's point for your question, Gary, what's even more interesting about that is you're buying that audience in Google, then you're buying it in Facebook. Most likely you're going to then go buy it on Apple's platform. That's, you know, there. And what you don't realize is it's more often than not, you're buying that same audience in three different environments. And there is duplication or triplication at that point. And so you're overpaying to talk to the same people and likely buying against your own cost per unit to accomplish that. So it's wasted dollars. You're not able to spend wisely and create one unique message because if anything, the headwinds that were created by COVID, it's taught us that there's a lot of ways to shop and there's a lot of places to shop. And in every retail environment, automotive, every category of business, what you see today are people are readjusting to a new normal and they may be shopping in a space, but they've also gotten very used to shopping online. So you have an and and an or in that situation. And what's challenging is because of all of these places, you need to own that relationship, but you want a seamless message to connect it all together so that you can provide the speed, the convenience, and then of course the personalization when they're in those locations to actually do something effectively. But more importantly, with more ways and more places, you also want the same message across each of those platforms so that you have a cohesive voice to that same audience 
And by buying in all these different environments, you're stitching all these pieces together, but nothing is cohesive. And we unlock that for them and make it possible in an in a nimble way that gives them that power to not only own their audience, but control how and when they do it so that it's effective and efficient. Because if they walk into my store, that's my relationship. I should have the right to that audience. I shouldn't have to pay someone to talk to my audience. And when I do it, I'm, it's a lookalike. It's not them. Right. And that's scary because someone else owns it. Right. So, so let me see if I can kind of stitch this together in my mind. So I'm thinking uh, what you're really trying to provide here is some correlation between digital footprint that is visits to a website or a retailer's property, tying it to some geospatial data around physical intent. And then saying, hey, here's a bunch of people who came to your website who also kind of come near your store that you may be interested in pulling in to your store to drive footfalls and drive eventual business. Am I getting that right? And today what's happening is retailers are accessing these third-party services like a Google or a Facebook to actually figure out who these people are by putting these cookies in you know, the code, Google code on your website. And so you're basically having to pay Google Analytics and, and Facebook audiences to get this information that you could otherwise normally, and that's what you enable for these retailers. You know, your people, here's the people who, you, who we think are interested in coming to your store. And here's a mechanism that you can use to target them when they come on your website the next time around. Mike, getting that right? Roger? Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay, great. So now that we're, so let's talk about, you know, Gary, you bring up a good point because, you know, I think nowadays when, I, when an app updates my phone and I have an iPhone, I do get that prompt which says, ask app not to track right? Is that what we're talking about, at least where uh, Apple seems to be taking away control from the person who runs the app? Yeah. So even the, even the app publisher, if it's a retailer themselves, doesn't really get that access to that information. Is that right? Correct. Correct. In their software development kit, meaning the kind of belly of the beast of that app, they've removed, Apple has the ability to track it's not really track, but identify that user and then start collecting data about them. It is at your discretion if you'd like to allow that or not. Apple has put out commercials about it. It's all about your own privacy. It should be your decision. I will cautiously say, as I look at it right now, I'd say that a lot of people in the beginning will of course say, don't track me, don't track me, don't track me. So you will see a fall off. And I think with that, others will start to recognize, okay, well, I'm getting in my car and I want to use my Waze or I want to use my weather app because I'd like to know what's going on outside. You're going to have to allow some levels of tracking so it can identify your location. But at the heart of it, it still puts it back in the user's ownership status to choose what pieces of the privacy they're willing to give up. So I might give up location, but not anything else, you know, and they've really changed that. It's all under that guise, but Apple is smart. Facebook is an app. Let's not forget that. It doesn't share money with Apple. Apple recognizes that. So Apple is saying, wait, I'm not getting anything out of this. Why should I give it to you? You don't share revenue with me. Right. I'm not letting you do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, my understanding was the IDFA that you mentioned, Roger, was to allow 
advertisers to track users across multiple apps because very often the same uh, you know advertising identifier is used and shared by multiple apps so if i know your id on one app and you show and you launch another app it allows the advertising network to essentially say oh i know this user i saw him on another app and that was his behavior and here's an ad that might be relevant mike am i right absolutely spot on and it, it enabled them to monetize you across a number of platforms and essentially while you're out on the internet at large. Right. And now that that's locked down, again, they've built that silo and then you're beholden to Apple. And we've all seen the rumblings. Apple's had some announcements. They're building ad platforms. They're building teams. They've got one certainly for the app store. Uh, I would be naive to think they are not going to expand that out and um, look at you know the long tail on, on market research that says Apple buyers look like this. And it's a very target-rich environment. So it Absolutely. all makes perfect sense. But it also puts a big roadblock again in front of uh, our retailers that they should be able to get to that data as well for the people that truly care about their brand or service. So what can retailers do? What are maybe some of the best practices or, or whatever retailers can implement to try and fight against this or you know claim their data and put some efficient marketing systems processes in place to reach their shoppers? It's a great question. Some brands have gotten really smart about it. I'd say the ones that are a bit more of the bigger brands have gotten smart and wisened up to, okay, hold on, I should own this. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, once I own that data and once I own that relationship, it affords me a lot of opportunity. Your audience in some ways could be larger depending on the size and scale of a, of a company, a retailer between its retail footprints and its website traffic, it in some ways could pretty much scale far larger than some of these tech giants. And when it comes to CPG goods, for example, there's monetization opportunities there. If I own my audience, I can identify them I can curate them. I can understand and look at their behavior. I can look at their demographics. I can segment them for personalization by time of day, day of week, different types of pricing levels based on the demographics on the household income, gender, presence of children, even down to if you have certain hours of day that are for seniors, we can help them do that. But more importantly, when they own that data, they can then leverage that for monetization with their co-op partners and control their destiny in that space to create new revenue paths. But also if they came to a site, I can remarket to them because I'm not going and building lookalikes and having to pay for that. I actually know who they are and I can market to them digitally across programmatic display with the mobile ad ID. I can mail to them and that's become a really big deal these days. I can put that custom audience into Facebook and market directly to them. I can email them in a consent and verified based manner so that it protects sender reputation for that domain. And you can text message with them on a consent-based opportunity. We unlock all of those channels to let them talk to them, but also 
give their partners that opportunity as well. And just to add to that, uh, we do it in two ways. We do it online through visits to the website, and we do it uh, offline with physical visits to a location, and we can attribute activity on both fronts. So we can help them identify people that have been to their stores and have also been to their website, and vice versa, their website, they didn't self-identify by signing up for a loyalty program or downloading the app, but showed uh, some digital intent, and then we can validate whether or not that translated into physical intent. And back to Elise's earlier point, that puts power back into the brand and the retailer's hands to go ahead and market correctly with the right message and tone to the intent of those individuals, and then monitor that in uh, the technical phrase, rinse and repeat, right? They get to curate that over and over again. And that really allows them to build their first party, to your point, Gary, defendable audience set, which they should own anyway. So Shaker, it, it seems like there's just a massive opportunity here for retailers to combine, you know, all this digital realm data ideally first-party data, with purchase data from their shoppers, both in-store and online, but bring all that together to power up even more insights and make the retailer's marketing even more intelligent, right? So for example, from purchase data, I know this shopper is maybe a secondary shopper, they're buying some categories from me, but then I can also learn from uh, location data, gee, this shopper, my shopper, is also going to these two other competitors in my marketplace each week and you know being able to leverage that information to you know design promotions or or communication to their shopper yeah i mean clearly i mean there's this ton of opportunity here and i think it's it's really a question of how where is the retailer a of services like this existing and b of how they can use them because you know I, I know a lot of retailers were still maybe you know obviously COVID has accelerated a lot of these technology initiatives and realized that customers are going digital and I got to be able to reach them in the uh, in cyberspace even if they don't show up in my store right um, so I'm just trying to connect the dots for people who are listening to this to see okay what does that do to me for my marketing strategy and acquisition strategy Right. So, so can you give us maybe a, a simple example of, you know, how would a retailer use this data and how do they kind of, you know, take advantage of this technology? So Shaker, you bring up a great point. I think what COVID taught us, there were tremendous shifts in behavior. And I think that many retailers had to reactively figure out digital innovation on the fly. And I also think they had to rely on, third parties or outside parties that perhaps bridge the gap for them to connect their brick and mortar to the online environment in a cohesive manner. And I think retailers also saw a shift where I typically go to buy certain things I wasn't going because they didn't have it. So I end up going someplace else. And you ended up in this challenge of acquisition and retention and then other stores acquiring new customers, but not knowing who they are, not building a relationship. And quite frankly, you don't want that churn. You want to keep that relationship. We actually produce, which becomes a roadmap for these brands to know how to activate their marketing strategy, a digital 
market research overview that gives them the opportunity to look at their retail locations, those of their competitors, understand that journey for acquisition and retention, and truly carve out a marketing plan that speaks to drill down to what day do I market to them? What time of day are they showing up? In some cases, it's great for in the retail space, is this a place prime for micro fulfillment that I should consider opening because I see the trade area that is in lockstep with the behavior of the audience coming to this location or for each of the GMs fighting in each of the retail stores, who is kind of the crown jewel in the portfolio? Who is underperforming? Do I have a supply demand chain issue? Because a lot of people that came here also went to all these places. So are we not carrying enough supplies on our shelves or even drilled down to when do I need the most manpower in my store? So it creates this roadmap for them that provides insight market research for development of new locations or considerations for how to best manage that. And so many of those marketing answers for you can actually build your own curated audiences that are truly yours to create personalized messages to each segment and leverage that as a team and then go out and market to them across all those mediums with a cross-channel experience, analyze it, capitalize on it, and then continue curating and finding and refining so that you have a game of acquisition and retention going on for loyalty. But then also, in all fairness, it is guerrilla marketing. You can capitalize in going after your competitors' audiences. Right. So is this something that you see, that, that uh, technology that's available to all sizes of retailers, like you know small retailers with a few stores to a huge chains, or is it only accessible to a certain section of the market? Well, I want to speak for Roger, but as we talk about tech giants, we are not, we are kind of the ones with the capes on our back that you can't see that evangelize all size businesses. So we like to make sure that the small guys don't get forgotten and we'll always figure out solutions because they have just as much right to own this audience and relationship as does the big guy. Absolutely. And it's the original power and intent of the internet it allowed the little guy to battle the big guy. You just had to bring your smarts and your products to market and you could compete on that scale. That's what we try and do at Refinition is put together the stitched platform that allows a single store retailer up to uh, a regional or a national player. So it scales from uh, small to very, very large. And it's interesting. I read the other day, some really smart guy, this guy, Gary Hawkins wrote this article about Instacart. And I think it was a really interesting article because I think what people don't realize is that more than half the people today as a result of COVID are shopping online, but they're also going back to stores. And depending on where you live, people are back in stores, but they also have been granted and afforded the opportunity that if it's crappy outside and they don't want to go out or, you know, they have too much going on, they can actually order online. What they had to do reactively during the pandemic was rely on Instacart. Own those grocers' data, for example. Those grocers should own that relationship. It's theirs. And because of a reactive situation, it doesn't reside with them. They can't capitalize on it unless they go to Instacart. That shouldn't be the case. They should own their destiny, even if 
they choose to partner with them, it should be theirs. And I think it was a very enlightening article to reinforce the power and importance of that data. Absolutely. And giving them the tools to do what we just described, allow them to identify those users that are going to the website to do the ordering. And you can do that via our pixel solution and then overlay using geospatial data, a, uh, all the folks that physically went to that store and allow those grocers to build that data set now so they can build a defendable audience against whatever Instacart decides to do on the longer term. And candidly, any of the folks that are in the delivery yeah. service, let the retailer own it. Yeah. Well, and uh, Elise, thank you for bringing up a good point there, because I think there's two really important things that a lot of retailers haven't focused on enough when it comes to Instacart or, you know, any similar digital native competitor. You know, it's it's the the importance of the power of building out that digital engagement. You know, I still don't see enough retailers really focused on that. They are far too passive in that, you know, assuming, well, the shopper will engage when and how and where they want to, as opposed to being more proactive and building that digital engagement and, and strengthening it. The second key point is that, you know, co- competition today, whether you're uh, certainly a retailer, brand manufacturer, whoever, it's all about data and it's all about the intelligence. And I, I think retailers have got the raw materials. Certainly, you know, just look at what's represented here on, on this podcast, right? You know, between all the intelligence a bird's eye can provide around a shopper profile and, and insights and all that on, on uh, shoppers, and then all the, the wealth of data and insights that a recognition can bring together, retailers can, can you know, leverage all this to truly change the game and compete on an entirely different level. And Absolutely. I just, I think that's one of the big challenges. I don't think enough retailers are seeing this yet and in, in being aggressive enough in this space. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. But I also think shame on all of the tech players out there that don't make it easy to understand and digest. And I think as a retailer that perhaps has been around a long time, that is, let's call it more of a novice in the digital space and very familiar in the roots of their brick and mortar experience, it seems daunting and a lot to tackle. Having good partners that can provide you a solution that is end to end for each of these components all at once, and then to be able to partner with the right organizations, shakers team and things of that nature to actually take that, hand it off and have that turnkey solution completely done for them is unique and powerful. But many don't know, to your point, that that is possible and not that hard to accomplish regardless of the size of your business. And that's what Refinition wants to constantly embrace. And we also think it's very important to be about ethical, clean data, because there's a lot of bad actors out there. And so that's kind of at the heart of who we are. Right, right. So this still respects individuals' rights to be tracked or not tracked, and you're still saying that, hey, respect your privacy. If you don't want us to do it, we won't do it. 
but you're taking that, you know, so they're all compliant with all the CCPA, GDPR type. Absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah, we are PII, CCPA, and we constantly track that uh, prevailing trend. And uh, we certainly believe there's going to be a national mandate at some point. Three states have already put legislation forward. Colorado, candidly, was just announced yesterday, I think, or the day before that they've got a a privacy law going in place that if we look at the length, they started working on in 2011. So shocking that it's taking everybody that long to get there. But uh, we want to be absolutely uh, fantastic stewards of data and all of the uh, data cleansing and processing takes place. So, so we, in fact, can stand behind that and be proud about it. That's cool. That's fantastic. So I think what I'm, uh, you know, when I'm trying to pull all of this together, I'm, you know, it's really an attempt for the retailer to, you know, I guess 30 years ago when, you know, the internet and digital and smartphones didn't exist, the activity of the shopper in the store was the core piece that defined the behavior of the shopper. But I guess we all have so many different services seeking headspace, right, which, which impacts our behavior and impacts our uh, intent. Uh, so me walking into the store and picking out that box of cereal is, a, there's so much more context around it that the retailer needs to understand before yes. trying to figure out what the right messaging is. And I guess tools like Refinition are really what help clarify, you know, when Gary walks into the store, you know, to better understand so you can serve your customer better. I'd even say COVID takes it one step further. I think we saw a tremendous migration of um, movement of people during COVID. People moved from state to state. I mean, this wasn't just moving from neighborhood to neighborhood and kind of keeping your, you know, habitual, you know, places that you went to. They absolutely moved from state to state and kind of creating that affinity and relationship in a new state, in a new environment, giving retailers the ability to harness and unlock that is even more powerful today in that acquisition game as well. And we afford them that opportunity. So we're real proud of what we do. And our only goal is to support retailers so that they are the ones in control and driving their future and what they do with it. It's very exciting. Yeah, and uh, Elise, I think just to reinforce the point you called out, I think it's really important. You know, I, I think the more that solution providers like a Refinition, Birdseye, et cetera, everybody in this, this data game can help sort of package up and provide, I don't want to say turnkey, but, you know, easy to understand, easy to implement, easy to execute solutions for retailers is really going to be helpful. Right, because the, the world of data is only growing larger and more complex by the day. You know, already retailers are overwhelmed with, with data. They don't know what to do with it all. So I think the secret here is, you know, how can solution providers distill all this down and make it really uh, actionable for the retailer? Yeah. Absolutely agree. So Gary. Can you believe it? It's 146. We've been talking to Roger and Elise, and it's been such a fascinating conversation that we didn't notice the time fly. This is always what happens, Roger and Elise, right? So we get started with a certain time and, and we just enjoy this conversation. I always feel like saying this because by the end of it, most of our guests who show up here is like, 
this feels incomplete. You need to come back for another chat yeah. pretty soon, right? Uh, but I think for a retailer who's listening out there, there's clearly so many more avenues and technologies available for you to understand your customer and, uh, you know, tying in, you know, you know, digital activity to geospatial activity can just, you know, unlock, like you said, at least all these channels that you can communicate with the customer with, right? So I think it's, it's fascinating. So if somebody were to try, want to reach out and get in touch with you, what would be the best way here that you would suggest? Uh, they can come and well, since we're in Florida and it's pretty open and he's in Texas, I'll just give them my address. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, of course. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, certainly uh, our, uh, you can go directly to our website at refinition.com um, or I'd encourage anybody that has any specific questions, uh, just simply reach out to Elise and I. I'm Roger at refinition.com and Elise is Elise at refinition.com and we'd be happy to field any questions or provide any context to those questions that are out there. Yeah, I mean, if you're a retailer listening out there, I think it's you should definitely learn about this technology and what it can do for you without question, right? But uh, Gary, any more questions? Yeah, no, I, I do think that we are gonna have to have Roger and Elise back here at some point. Uh, and, and I think, you know, maybe next time really be interesting to focus on maybe a couple use cases or examples of campaigns that retailers that, you know, collectively maybe we've worked with or had experience with to provide more concrete examples for retailers of, you know, exactly what kind of data is available and specific examples of here's what you can do with it. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great idea, Gary. And I think, you know, I know we have retail purchase on YouTube as well, and we've been, you know, trying to build up some steam and maybe we can even do a, a demo that we put on our YouTube as part of the podcast, right? And uh, do a screen share and put it out there for people to see and have a conversation about it. This is, no, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time, but I do want to say next time you show up here, you're going to have to show up with your retail perch mugs because if you give us your mailing address, Stephanie will make sure that you get a retail perch mug that we can all have a cup of coffee with. And uh, so that'll be a requirement for your next appearance on this show. You got to have the retail <laughs> perch mug. We are so grateful for you including us and having this incredible dialogue. And we would love to come back and visit and absolutely uh, use the mug. I will put my water in it so that I am doing my good branding and I will use it on every call to support your effort. Thank you for being with us today. Great conversation. And if you feel that there's any specific topic that you want us to talk about, uh, do mention it. You can reach us at retailperch at birdseye.com or reach Gary or me directly through our LinkedIn and all the different social media that we have. Uh, but again, I want to thank Stephanie for pulling this together. She's the one who, you know, we get to sit here and cut jokes and have fun. Uh, she's got to go to work and actually pull this all together and get rid of the ahs and the ums and all those uh, brief pauses that we've had. But thank you, Stephanie. And it's been terrific having you, uh, Lisa and Roger, on the show. And we hope you'll come back here real soon. And we'll let you know when the show goes live so you can put it on your respective social media. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you. Yeah. Have a wonderful day. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off. Mm -hmm.